Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7 this morning. And let's just read from verse 41 as we begin this morning. Luke chapter 7 and verse 41 says, There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Let's commit our time this morning to the Lord in prayer. Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for the opportunity to come this morning around your word. Lord, I pray that uh, this morning you would prepare our hearts to receive from you. Lord, I pray that you give us understanding of the passage before us, that, Lord, you would empower me now through the Spirit, give me wisdom and guidance, Lord, that only you can give. I pray, Lord, that this morning it would be your words, it would be your thoughts, and that, Lord, you would just apply it to our hearts as you see fit, and that, Lord, you would be honoured and glorified now. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, of course, we've been uh, considering the parables of our Lord uh, on Sunday mornings. And right back when we began this series, we said that Christ used three different types of parables throughout his ministry. We said that he used parable sayings, uh, parable similitudes, and, of course, parable stories. And, of course, we started out by looking at some of those parable sayings which we defined as short instructive sayings involving some likeness or comparison and so we considered sayings like they be blind leaders of the blind and be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves they're just some of the sayings we considered we then moved on to consider the parable similitudes that christ used and we said that a similitude is a comparison of one thing with another in the form of a simile or allegory. And we considered similitudes like, ye are the light of the world, and ye are the salt of the earth. And of course, we looked at the kingdom ones. You know, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a mustard seed. And now this morning, we turn our attention to the final type of parables. We turn our attention to the parable stories, uh, which are probably the ones that are most familiar to us, aren't they? The stories that Christ used. And Thayer states that a parable story is a narrative, fictitious, but agreeable to the laws and usages of human life, by which either the duties of men or the duties of God are figuratively portrayed. Um, Or if you like to put it more simply, they're earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. You know, Christ uses these earthly stories to teach us some spiritual truth. We want to begin our study this morning of the parable stories with the short story found here in the words of verses 41 and 42, uh, which we read before. It says, There was a certain creditor which had two debtors, the one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. So we see Christ here gives this, this short little story concerning two men who are in debt to a creditor. You know, one owes 10 times more than the other, but both men have a debt and both men have their debts 
erased. They're forgiven. The slate is wiped clean. Now to understand fully the spiritual truth that Christ is teaching here with this short little parable, we need to first of all, as always, consider the context, don't we? The context in which Christ speaks these words. And so consider firstly with me this morning the parable setting. The parable setting. Let's read from verse 36. Verse 36 says, And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointments and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. And when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. So here in these words, we find the parable setting, don't we? Okay, what happened immediately before Christ spoke this short little parable. So we have the events, if you like, leading up to the parable. Now, before we go any further, I think it's important to understand that this event, although it's similar, is not the same as the event that's recorded in the other Gospels, where we see Mary come and anoint the feet of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, and John all record that event. But let's just turn quickly to John and we'll read his account. John chapter 12. John chapter 12 and verse 1. says, Then Jesus said, sorry, then Jesus six days before the Passover came to Bethany, where Lazarus, which was, uh, sorry, which was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointments. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not, because, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief, and had the bag and bare that which was put therein. Then, Jesus, then said Jesus, let her alone. Against the day of my burying hath she kept this. For the poor always you have with you, but me you have not always. And so here in John, and we find it in Matthew and Mark as well, we have this account of Mary coming and doing something very similar. She comes and anoints the feet of Jesus and wipes his feet with her hair. And some have tried to make this passage here in Luke to be the same event. Okay, And so they've said that the woman here is Mary. But it's clear that these are two separate occasions when you consider them side by side. Okay, uh, In Luke's account, we find that this takes place at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, or towards the beginning of his ministry, and it takes place in the region of Galilee, which is up to the north. Okay, While the event that's recorded in the other Gospels, it takes place towards the end of his ministry, and it takes place in Bethany, which is near Jerusalem in the south. And so you're in totally different regions, 
and at totally different times. Okay? And also here in Luke, it's the Pharisee who criticizes Christ, whereas in the other story, the disciples criticize the woman. Okay? And so it's clear that this event is not to be confused with Mary coming to anoint the feet of Jesus. Okay? The woman here is not Mary, okay? and that's key to understand. They're not the same story, not the same event. They're similar, but they're different. And as we consider the setting here in Luke, notice with me firstly here the meal invitation. Okay, so we're sort of going to break up the setting here into three parts. Okay, We have the meal invitation first of all. In verse 36 of Luke chapter 7, it says, And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And so the event here in Luke begins with Christ receiving and accepting this invitation from a Pharisee who we later learn is named Simon. Okay, so he accepts the invitation from Simon. He enters into his home and he's sitting down to a meal with Simon. Now, this is unusual because the Pharisees, of course, were not the friends of Christ. You know, they were his enemies. They were not in the habit of inviting him into their homes. In fact, there's only one other occurrence in the Gospels where we see Christ invited into the home of a Pharisee, okay, invited in by him. Let's go to Luke chapter 11. This is the only other place you read this. Luke chapter 11 and verse 37. <clears throat> Luke chapter 11, verse 37, it says, And as he spake, a certain Pharisee besought him to dine with him, and he went in and sat down to meet. And so these are the only two occasions in the Gospels where we find recorded that Christ is invited by a Pharisee into his home to enjoy a meal with him. And so this request by Simon here in verse 36 is indeed unusual. Okay, it's unusual. And we're not told exactly why he extends the invitation unto the Lord here. But it becomes clear from later in the passage that he didn't do this out of love. Okay, he didn't invite the Lord into his house out of love and indeed out of respect. Just look in verse 44 of Luke chapter 7. It says, And he turned to the woman and he said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet. But she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss. But this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint. But this woman hath anointed my feet with ointments. Christ here later on talks about how he had treated him, you know, how Simon had treated the Lord as he entered into his home. You know, Simon's treatment of Christ here was one of total disrespect. Okay, the commentator Butler he says this there was no friendliness in the invitation which he extended, because when he received Jesus, he neglected all the common courtesies of an Eastern home, such as foot washing the kiss of salutation and the anointing. This Pharisee was in fact being very rude to Christ. The invitation which looked like kindness was simply a crafty means of the Pharisee to dishonor Christ. And so that's important to understand here, isn't it? This invitation here is not given out of love and respect and it's seen by the way he treats Christ when he enters into his home. He shows him no respect, no honor, none of those common courtesies that you would do for a guest in your home. So Simon here shows no honor, no respect unto the Lord. 
And as we read on now, we see they're sitting down to the meal and this woman, this stranger now enters in and she proceeds to fulfill the very duties that Simon has neglected. And so we see secondly here in the setting, we see the woman's actions. We've seen the meal imitation. Now we look at the woman's actions. Look at verse 37 with me. It says, And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, and stood at his feet behind him weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with ointments. Now here we see now the woman's actions. Now this woman now enters into Simon's house while they're sitting down having this meal and she enters in completely uninvited. And I don't know about you, but that seems completely strange, doesn't it? You know, imagine if we were sitting down to an evening meal with our family or with some invited guests and then suddenly this stranger walks through the front door and comes in to where you are sitting down to eat. In our culture, that is very strange, isn't it? It's offensive. Okay? But in Jewish culture, this was not unusual. This wasn't an unusual thing. One commentator wrote this. He said, This would not have been unusual in a culture in which hospitality was considered a virtue. For such an occasion as this, a Pharisee would set the table in an open place, perhaps in the courtyard, and the host would leave open the front gate so that, passerby, so that a passerby might not only observe the hospitality of the guest, sorry, of the host, but even enter into the courtyard to view the food that the host had provided for the guests. And the more sumptuous the provision of the host, the more honor that would be heaped on that one as a host. And so it's clear that the custom of the day makes this whole situation possible. Okay, the Pharisee has invited guests, he's putting on a, a feast with Christ there, and it's probably in the courtyard with the gates open so everyone can see. We know the Pharisees liked people to see what they're doing. Okay, and so it's open, people can see what's taking place. And that makes this whole situation possible for her to just simply walk in uninvited, and there would have been others who are uninvited watching as well. And so she's one of those ones who enter in. And in verse 37, Luke describes this woman here. He says that she's a woman in a city. Sorry, let's just read it. <clears throat> verse 37 there. It says, And behold, a woman in the city which was a sinner. Okay, a woman in the city which was a sinner. Now, in other words, she was notorious for her sinful life. Okay, that's basically what he's saying here. She was notorious. She had a bad reputation. Now, many believe that this suggests that she was a harlot or a prostitute. And that may be so, but we can't say for certain. Okay? All we can say for certain here is that she was known for her sinful life. And upon learning that Jesus is dining with this Pharisee, we see that the woman now comes, this sinner, she comes with a purpose. Look in verse 37 again. It says, And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointments. 
You notice that it says that when she knew, when she learned where Jesus was, when she learned that he's having this meal with the Pharisee in this courtyard, she does what she brings, this alabaster box. You see, she's coming for a purpose, isn't she? Okay, This isn't just a, a chance occasion. This isn't just something that she does spur of the moment. She's planned this. She's gone and got the box of ointment and she's come for a purpose. She's come planning to pay homage unto the Lord, as we see in verse 38. Okay, and she stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. So she's come with this plan in mind, okay, with a plan. She's brought the box of ointment to anoint the Lord, to provide this sacrifice unto the Lord. Now, in those days, as the people ate their meal, they would often recline at their meals. Okay? So Christ would have been probably lying on his side with his feet extended away from the table. And this explains how she's able to come in and stand at his feet okay, as he's eating the meal. She stands at his feet, and as she stands there, we read that she begins to weep. Tears are flowing down her face, and she bends down, and she begins to wipe his feet or wash his feet with her tears. Verse 38 again at the start, it says, And stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears. She's overcome with emotion here. She's weeping uncontrollably, and she now bends down and she begins to wash the feet of the Lord with her tears. You know, the proud Pharisee wouldn't even wash the Lord's feet with water. But here this woman in humility washes the Lord's feet with her tears. And then she goes even further. She then takes her hair, which was considered to be the glory of a woman. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 15 tells us that, doesn't it? Okay, the, hair is, the woman's hair is her glory. She takes her glory and she sacrifices her personal glory to the honor of the Lord, doesn't she? She takes her hair and she wipes the feet of the Lord. You see, we see her humbly here giving of herself, doesn't she? She gives of herself here for the Lord. And then verse 38 goes on and tells us that she begins to kiss the feet of the Lord as well. Verse 38 again, And stood at his feet behind him weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet. She's now bends down, she's washed his feet with tears, wiped them with her hair, and now she begins to kiss the feet of the Lord. This was a kiss of love, a kiss of great gratitude. One commentator wrote this, he said, The word kissed means to kiss fondly, to caress, or to kiss again and again. She did not cease to kiss his feet. There was much love springing from a sense of much forgiveness you see she's overcome with emotion and thanksgiving for the lord and she now kisses his feet in deep gratitude and then she concludes her actions by wonderfully taking that ointment and she anoints the feet of jesus verse 38 the end says and anointed them with the ointments this was the whole reason she'd come remember she brought with her this costly gift this alabaster box of ointments this is a costly sacrifice 
Now, we've talked about these boxes of ointment before, but you had to break it open to use it. And once it was broken open, that was it. This is an expensive gift that she is bringing. But you see, to her, no sacrifice is too great. From a heart of love, from a heart of gratitude, this woman brings this sacrifice in humble adoration unto the Lord. J.C. Ryle, he writes this, No stronger proofs of reverence and respect could she have given. And the secret of her giving such proofs was love. She loved our Lord, and she thought nothing too much to do for Him. She felt deeply grateful to our Lord, and she thought no mark of gratitude too costly to bestow on Him. You see, the reason this woman came and did these actions was love. And why did she feel such love for the Lord? Because of the forgiveness that she'd found in Christ. You see, she was well aware of her wickedness. She knew who she was. She understood she was a wicked sinner. But she knew that she'd been forgiven. And she knew she didn't deserve that forgiveness. You see, this woman had, at a previous occasion, she'd already experienced the grace and mercy of God firsthand in her life. She had been forgiven. She'd found salvation. And so she'd come now. That's the reason she's come with such love in her heart and overcome with emotion. Now we find a key to exactly when she came to know this forgiveness, this salvation in Matthew chapter 11. Now Matthew chapter 11 records these same events leading up to Christ going into the Pharisee's house. Matthew 11 doesn't talk about the Pharisee's house, Simon's house. But before it are the exact same events, the events leading up to this meal in the Pharisee's house. In Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28, Christ says this, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Christ has just before this given this wonderful invitation to all who are laboring under the burden of their sin to come unto Him for rest and salvation. You see, this wonderful invitation, as I said, was spoken just before the events here in Simon's house. And so it seems likely that this woman, she's heard this message. She was there in the audience. She's heard the message of the Lord. She's responded in faith. She's gone and got the alabaster box. And it's for this reason she now comes and she worships the Lord. She's overcome at what the Lord has done for her. Henriksen writes this, She is overcome by emotion. Overwhelming sorrow for past sin is mingled with profound gratitude for the present sense of forgiveness. Her heart is filled to overflowing with love and reverence for the one who has opened her eyes and brought about a radical change in her life. You see, the truth is this woman had been changed. She'd been cleansed. She'd found forgiveness. She now has great love for the Lord. But you know, Simon the Pharisee, he doesn't see any of this, does he? He doesn't know what's going on in her heart. He doesn't know that she's been cleansed and forgiven. And so we see now thirdly here in the setting, the Pharisee's response. 
We talked about the invitation. We talked about the woman's actions. And now we see the Pharisee's response, verse 39. It says, Now when the Pharisee, which had bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. You know, Simon, he witnesses all this take place. And like a typical Pharisee, what does he do? He reacts with disgust. Disgust. To Simon, this woman was an unclean sinner who the Lord should have had nothing to do with. He should never have let her approach her, approach him, sorry. Never have allowed her to touch him. But as he watched on, Christ not only tolerated her actions, Christ even welcomed her actions. You see, within his heart, Simon now passes judgment upon the Lord, doesn't he? You know, Simon here concludes that Jesus cannot be the Messiah. He cannot be a prophet because a prophet would have known this woman's heart and a prophet would have refused to let her touch him. And so Simon, watching on, he condemns the woman and he rejects the Messiah, doesn't he? He does both. He condemns the woman and he rejects the Lord. You know, it's at this point that Christ now speaks the parable. And so we see secondly here this morning, we've looked at the setting We see, secondly, now the parable story. Look in verse 40 with me. It says, And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed uh, 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered, and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most, and he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. Simon's accusation in his heart against the Lord was that, you know, he couldn't be a prophet, or else he would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him. That was his accusation in his heart. And Christ now responds by demonstrating that he does indeed know this woman, and he also knows Simon. That's what he demonstrates here, isn't it? Christ demonstrates he knows her and he knows Simon's heart as well. You see, in verse 40, it says, Jesus answering said unto him. Well, Simon didn't ask a question, did he? Except in his heart. And the Lord now answers that question. He knew Simon's thoughts. He knew what he was thinking. And, you know, you can sense that the Lord is not pleased as well in his words here where he says, Simon... I have somewhat to say unto thee. You can sense the Lord is not pleased with what he is thinking in his heart. And Simon, curious to know what exactly the Lord has to say, he says, Master, or teacher, say on. And the Lord now proceeds to give this very simple parable, this very simple story as we just read in verse 41 and 42. Christ tells the story here of two men who were both in debt to a creditor. One owes 500 pence, while the other owes 50 pence. Now, the pence amounted to roughly a day's wages for most people. And so the first man owes 500 days' wages, or almost two years' wages. The second man owes 50 days, or almost two months' wages. You know, while they both owe different amounts, they're both in debt to the same 
creditor. And they both find themselves in the same position, at the mercy of this man. And they're both unable to pay their debt. We read that there, don't we? Verse 42. We'll start in verse 41. So there was a certain creditor, which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. It says, and when they had nothing to pay, both these men are in the same situation, aren't they? They both owe a debt, different amounts, but they both owe a debt to the same man, the same creditor, and both do not have the means to pay the debts. Now, by rights, the creditor could have had both men thrown into the debtor's prison. That would have been his right. That would have been justice. And indeed, that would have been the normal response of any money lender. You know, but instead here, in Christ's story, the creditor forgives both men and wipes their debts, wipes the slate clean. You see, the creditor here in Christ's story shows mercy and grace. Mercy in not giving to them what they justly deserved, prison. Grace in giving to them what they don't deserve, forgiveness of the debt. Grace and mercy. And having made this point, Christ concludes the parable with a piercing question, doesn't he? To the Pharisee. Look at verse 42 again. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me therefore, which of them will love him most? Now Christ asks Simon now, he says, which of the two men will respond with more love? And the question really pierces to the whole heart of the matter. You know, that the woman's actions were driven by her great love for the Lord. You know, the Pharisee, Simon, he must have known what the Lord was getting at. And we sense that in his response in verse 43. Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. Now, the words I suppose here, they're interesting. It could also be translated, I take it. Simon answered and said, I take it that he to whom he forgave most. Do you sense the contempt in his voice? The contempt for the Lord and what the Lord is trying to prove. The contempt for the Lord's story that he's just given. Butler writes this, Simon answered the inquiry with an air of arrogant indifference. Simon had been trapped by the Lord and he knew it. So he tried to give his answer in a way, that, way to express his arrogant disdain for the Lord. See, Simon doesn't want to understand the point of the parable, does he? He doesn't want to understand the truth. There's contempt in his voice. But the Lord now responds to Simon simply by saying, Thou hast judged, or thou hast rightly judged. And then Christ begins to expound the lesson of the parable for him. And so let's notice thirdly this morning the lesson of the parable or the parable lesson. Look with me in verse 44. It says, And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house, thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she have washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman since the time I came in hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointments. 
Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth much, little. And he said unto her, thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat and meet with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. Christ now makes clear the lesson of the parable for us. The Lord turns Simon's attention back to the woman, doesn't he? He says in verse 44, And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? He's turned his attention back to the woman. And now Christ begins to make clear for Simon, and not just Simon. Remember, this is a, a, a feast. There would be others at this table as well, okay? probably his Pharisee friends. And so Christ makes it clear now for all present the difference between Simon and this woman. Christ highlights Simon's actions in comparison with the woman's actions, and he declares what those actions reveal about both of them. And so first the Lord rebukes Simon, doesn't he? He rebukes Simon for his terrible treatment of the Lord as a guest in his home. We won't read it again, but we just read it there in verse 44 to 46. How Simon had not provided any of the common courtesies that should have been shown to Christ as a guest. One commentator wrote this. He said, Courtesy demanded that a basin of water be provided by the host, but Simon the Pharisee had made no such provision for Christ. Custom would have demanded that the host greet the guest with a kiss, even though hypocritical, as a profession of respect and affection. But the Pharisee had ignored these customary courtesies. The host was expected to provide a vial of oil so that the face of the guest might be anointed as a sign of joy because of the invitation to participate in the banquet. But no anointing oil had been provided for Christ. You see, as we mentioned earlier, Simon had showed Christ no respect, no love as he entered into his home, no honor. In contrast to that, the woman had entered in, it's not her home, but she enters in uninvited, and she provides everything that Simon neglected. Let's read it, verse 44. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered in thine house, thou gavest me no water for my feet. But she have washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. See, as we said earlier, this woman came in humbly. She came in full of adoration, full of love for the Lord. And her actions now, as she bends and she does all this, she washes his feet with her tears, wipes them with her hair, anoints his feet, kisses his feet. As she does all these things, it springs from a heart full of love, in complete contrast to Simon. You see, with these words, Christ makes clear for us the lesson of the parable. Simon's failure to show the Lord any love and respect when Christ entered into his home stemmed from his lack of faith in who Christ is. He didn't believe Christ was the Messiah. Simon didn't think he needed the Lord. He didn't need what Christ was offering. He saw himself as righteous before God. He didn't need forgiveness, didn't need the forgiveness Christ was offering. And so the result is that Simon has not experienced the grace 
and mercy of God in his life. He didn't know Christ and therefore there's no love and there's no desire to serve the Lord. By contrast, the woman, she was extremely conscious of her sin, wasn't she? Extremely conscious of her sin. She knew how wicked she was and she marveled that Christ would forgive a sinner such as her. She had responded in faith to Christ's message of salvation. She'd been forgiven. And now she responds with love and service. You see, the woman had experienced firsthand the grace and mercy of God in her life, and it showed in her actions. And in verse 44, Christ declares this truth for us. Sorry, verse 47. It says, Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. Now, the wording there can be a little bit confusing. Christ declares, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. Now, the word for here doesn't imply that her love was the reason for her forgiveness. Okay? Her sins, which are many, are forgiven because... She loved much, okay? It's not what the word for here means. Now, in this context, the word means therefore. And so we read, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, therefore she loved much. See how that makes more sense, doesn't it? Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, therefore she loved much. You see, it was her consciousness of the forgiveness that she'd found in Christ that motivated her response of love and service. In verse 48 to 50, Christ stresses the fact that she was indeed saved by faith. It says in verse 48, And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. It was her faith that saved her. That's why she was saved. And the love was a demonstration of that experience, that she was forgiven. She's saved by faith and it's because she experienced the grace and mercy of God that she came with love to serve Christ. Dwight Pentecost, he writes this and it's, it's really well written. He says this, Her many tears, her deep affection, her public reverence, her action in anointing his feet were all traceable to one cause. She had been forgiven of much, and so she loved much. Her love was the effect of her forgiveness, not the cause. It was the consequence of her forgiveness, not the condition of her forgiveness. It was the result of her forgiveness, not the reason. The fruit of her forgiveness, not the root. You see, her love stemmed from the fact that she had been forgiven. And that really is the lesson of the parable this morning. You see, the lesson is not so much that the more sinful we are before we get saved, the more we will love and serve the Lord. If that was the case, then we might as well sin some more so that we love Him more. Okay, that doesn't make sense, does it? That's not the lesson really of the parable. We're all sinners. We're all unworthy of God's mercy and grace. The lesson really is that love and service are the direct result of how consciously aware we are of just how unworthy 
we are of his forgiveness. That's the lesson. Our love and service is directly results, a direct result of our conscious awareness of how undeserving we are of his forgiveness. You see, beloved, when we stop and we as believers consider God's grace and we consider the fact that he has cleansed us and that by his grace we, we stand redeemed, we stand justified because we placed our faith and trust in him. When we consider all he has done, the forgiveness we have in Christ, the result should naturally be love. A deep gratitude, a deep adoration for the one who saved us. And that love should result in service. That we're willing to humbly come and give of ourselves, like this woman. Go and give of ourselves to sacrifice under him. And no sacrifice should be too great to make for our Lord because we love him because of what he's done for us. Sadly, I think at times as believers, we can be guilty of forgetting, of forgetting all that God has done for us. And the result is that our love wanes, doesn't it? Our love wanes, it cools, and we end up acting just like the Pharisee. There's no willingness to sacrifice or serve the Lord. We become disgruntled when we're called upon to serve the Lord. Disgruntled when serving Christ inconveniences our life, inconveniences what we want to do. It gets in the way of our life as an inconvenience to serve Him. Beloved, if that's how we feel about serving the Lord, then we're guilty of forgetting our first love. This was the accusation against the church at Ephesus, wasn't it? Revelation chapter 2. We're almost done this morning. Revelation chapter 2. <clears throat> Revelation 2 and verse 4. It says, Nevertheless, talking about the church at Ephesus, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Church of Ephesus was guilty of this. They left their first love. Love was no longer their motivation for service. Love, we must always keep in mind what God has done for us. Keep that in focus. You know, we've been shown marvelous, undeserved forgiveness. And make no mistake, we're all just guilty like that woman. We are all filthy sinners. No matter how sinful our life might be, we are wicked, filthy sinners before the Lord. We don't deserve his forgiveness. And he has shown us that marvelous, undeserved forgiveness. Beloved, therefore, let us love and serve him. Dwight Pentecost summed it up well. He said, The heart must be engaged for Christ, or the hands will soon hang down. The affections must be enlisted into his service, or our obedience will soon stand still. It will always be the loving workman who will do most in the Lord's vineyard. It's true, isn't it? Love must be our motivation. In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14, Paul wrote this. He said, the love of Christ constraineth us. Beloved, I trust that's true today. That the love that we have for Christ constrains us to serve him. So much so that it doesn't matter how much it may inconvenience our life. It doesn't matter how much we must give up for him. 
We love him and therefore we'll serve him no matter what. Just like this woman here this morning. Let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the truths contained therein. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'd help us all to never forget what you've done for us. Lord, we are so undeserving of your forgiveness. So undeserving to be washed, cleansed, and through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ by simple faith in you. Lord, may we ever keep that in focus and may, Lord, it motivate us like this woman to come with a heart full of love and adoration and a willingness to bow the knee and to serve you, to put you first in our lives, Lord, because, Lord, you deserve it. Lord, may the love of Christ constrain us today. Lord, bless as we close, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.